Today's reading is from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 28, starting at verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him, and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day and all that night. When the woman came to Saul and saw that he was greatly shaken, she said, Look, your servant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now please listen to your servant and let me give you some food 
so that you may eat and have the strength to go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his men joined the woman in urging him, and he listened to them. He got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had a fattened calf at the house, which she butchered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked bread without yeast. Then she set it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That same night, they got up and left. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Uh, before I start, I just want to say uh, a word of thanks to the musicians. Uh, you'll have seen the uh, wonderful way that they performed this morning, but I want to thank not just them, but the musicians over the past many weeks and months, all of whom uh, get together now on a Thursday evening to rehearse. Uh, then they come in and uh, rehearse and practice and um, record on a Sunday morning as well. It's just a tremendous amount of effort that they're putting in, so we're very grateful to them for all that they're they're doing, I'm sure you are too. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. As we enter into the book of Samuel this morning, our prayer is that we would know you more and that you would shape and fashion us in the likeness of Christ. Amen. It would be relatively straightforward, and from what I can gather from other preachers, relatively common for me to preach a sermon on the occult using this passage as a springboard. But there are two good reasons for not doing so. First and foremost, that is not the focus of the passage. Having just read the chapter, do you know any more about necromancy, uh, calling up the spirits of the dead, than you did before? Do you know any more about ghosts? Me neither. That's not really what this passage is about. Second, I don't need to spend 30 minutes telling you that there are demonic powers at work in the world, that there are no such thing as good witches or rescue mediums, that Ouija boards, horoscopes, tarot cards, palm reading, and seances are forbidden in the Bible and no Christian should be involved with them in any way. You don't need me to tell you that because you already know all of that. And if you don't, and if any of these things are an issue for you, then please email or call any one of the pastors and speak to them about it. Instead, I want to talk about what this text is really about, listening to God. Three pieces of introductory information will help to set up this story. First, we're told that Samuel was dead. Obviously, that's going to be important a bit later. Samuel was a priest and a prophet who had served as leader of Israel before Saul had become king. It was Samuel who had anointed Saul as king, and this account serves as an ending to the story of their relationship. What stands out about Samuel is that he was a man who heard from the Lord. As a boy, he'd heard the Lord's voice, and throughout his life, he'd experienced the Lord's direction for himself, for the people of Israel, for Saul, and for David. 
A second introductory piece of information is that Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. Mediums are those who supposedly communicate with the dead. Spiritists are those who supposedly channel the spirits of the dead. Though in both cases, what in fact is happening, if it's not simply a con trick, is communication with demonic spiritual powers masquerading as people who've died. Expulsion here probably means execution rather than exile. We're not told when this expulsion took place. There's no account of this event in the book, but it does indicate that Saul has done some of the kingly work described by Samuel back in chapter 11. Of course, the fact that this, after this purge, Saul still has no difficulty in locating a medium shows that he had done an incomplete job. Doing an incomplete job is an issue for Saul, which quite literally is going to come back and haunt him. And third, we're told that the Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem. Saul has faced the Philistines before without the fear that he shows here. He's been fighting them all of his years as king. The difference here is that the Philistines have assembled. In the past, Saul has dealt with Philistine raiding parties, or he's dealt with the army of one Philistine city or another. These Philistine city-states have been almost as much concerned about one another as they have been about hostilities with other peoples. Now we see them allied together into one single Philistine army. Achish, who we met in the last chapter and we'll meet again in the next, is a Philistine king, and yet he's only one of several commanders of this great army. So there are the players, Samuel, Saul, and the Philistine army. The story which unfolds flows from Saul's response to these circumstances. The death of Samuel, so that he's no longer there to be consulted, the expulsion of the mediums, and the threat of the Philistine army. And Saul's response is one of fear. Terror filled his heart, we're told. And it's this fear, not his personal faith, not his kingly duty, that drives him to inquire of the Lord. And the writer of 1 Samuel tells us that Saul used three means to listen for the voice of God. Dreams, prophets, and the Urim. What the Urim, uh, often called Urim and Thummim, actually were is not precisely known. The Bible gives no description of them, but they were employed by the priests as a rudimentary device for determining God's guidance. Saul, of course, has had all of the priests of the Lord executed, which made use of the Urim very difficult. And this implies either that he must have appointed new priests or that he must have used the Urim himself, doing what only the priests were permitted to do, another sin which he's committed before. As we listen for the voice of God today, we also have a variety of means for doing so, chief among which, of course, is the Bible itself. I'm only being slightly facetious when I say that we often ask God to speak to us 
even though we haven't read the 66 books of his word that he's already sent to us. The books of the Bible are not just general words about God from long ages past. The writer of the book of Hebrews, for example, introduces quotations from the Old Testament with the words, as the Spirit says, present tense. Words written centuries ago are being spoken by the Spirit afresh when we read them today. This is the living Word of God. This is the place we need to start when we're listening for the voice of the Lord. But the Lord also speaks to us through preaching, through the gifts of prophecy, words of knowledge, and words of wisdom, through books. Uh, I find that I often hear the Lord uh, speaking to me through Christian biographies. Others say the same of Christian teaching books or novels or poetry. And the Lord also speaks through friends, particularly mature believers, through dreams, through circumstances, through an inner sense of peace, or conversely, through an inner sense of restlessness, through the voice of our conscience, and through the quiet inner voice, the prompting of the Spirit. For myself, I experience this last, that quiet inner voice of the Holy Spirit, as a moment when I receive a, a new, fully formed idea that isn't the result of my own thought process, but is placed in my mind by the Spirit, I can always identify it as an idea from God because it brings an unusual quality of clarity, peace, confidence, faith, and further insight into the character of God. The Lord speaks to believers in all of these ways. For Saul, however, the Lord did not answer him. Whenever we feel that God is no longer speaking to us, the first thing to do is to examine ourselves. Ask yourself, ask God, ask friends, is there something in my life preventing me from hearing from the Lord? Lauren Cunningham, the founder and director of Youth with a Mission, says, go back to the last time you knew the sharp, cutting edge of God's voice, and then obey the key question is, have you obeyed the last thing God told you to do? It's important to ask whether there's anything in our own lives that is pre preventing us from hearing the Lord, but at times, God simply chooses to remain silent. The only response then is that that's given in Psalm 37, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. In that case, the silence of God, which can last a long time, can be a sign of maturity, as if the Lord is the parent who no longer has to direct every single step of their child because their child has learned from them the right things to do. But this is not the case for Saul. Saul gets no word from the Lord. So Saul says to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. And they immediately reply that they know of such a person in Endor. Now, Saul is in Gilboa, eight miles south of Endor, and the Philistine army is encamped at Shunem, which is directly in the way. The entire 
Philistine army is between Saul and this medium. But so desperate is Saul that he leaves the Israelite army and travels around the enemy line to consult this medium. And in order to do so, he has to take off his royal robes and act uh, steeped in symbolism. And he has to disguise himself. He travels under the cover of night. And when he arrives, he says to the woman, in an act of extraordinary hypocrisy, since he was the one who had the, the mediums expelled, consult a spirit for me. The woman is immediately suspicious and replies, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? And she suspects that this is a setup to catch her practicing forbidden acts of divination and have her executed. Now, Saul's expulsion of the mediums and spiritists was based on the prohibitions in the law of Moses. Leviticus 19 states, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. And in the next chapter of Leviticus, the Lord says, I will set my face against anyone who turns to mediums and spiritists to prostitute themselves by following them, and I will cut them off from their people. Here is Saul, feeling cut off from God, but acting in a way which the Lord has plainly stated makes it impossible to seek his face. We're still in Deuteronomy 18. These occult practices are given as the very reason that the Israelites are in conflict with the other nations over the land of Canaan. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you will dispossess listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. Here is Saul, fighting with the Philistines over the land of Canaan, because the occult practices they engage in put them in opposition to God, but engaging in those very same practices himself. The law is clear. God opposes those nations which practice divination and will drive them out. Time and time again, when the Lord's people are disobedient, he uses the other nations to drive them out. And so it is with the Philistines and Saul. Saul's actions, the actions of the king of Israel, seal his army's fate. Who you listen to is no trivial thing. Who you listen to can put you in opposition to the living God. 
Now, what exactly happens when the medium calls up the spirit of Samuel is somewhat up for debate. From the woman's surprise, it's clear that either she's normally faking her contact with the dead, or she encounters evil spirits, not the spirits of the dead really rising from the grave. This is the single exception in the Bible that proves the rule. There is no contact with the dead. They do not come back to haunt the living. They're not able to speak messages from beyond the grave. And Jesus confirms this when he tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. On this occasion, because it is in the Lord's purposes, not Saul's, God permits this appearance of Samuel's spirit. But the issue in this passage is not the whys and wherefores of seances. The issue in this passage is who you listen to. Why does God not answer someone who is seeking him? Well, the answer for Saul becomes apparent in his conversation with Samuel. Verse 15. I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. Saul's reason for calling on Samuel is the same as his reason for calling on God. It is not in order to discern God's will so that he can surrender himself to God's purposes. It is fear for himself. I am in great distress. Not anguish that he isn't walking with the Lord or that Israel is in danger. He's afraid and he wants reassurance at any cost. Samuel's response which seems even sharper now that the threat of being executed by Saul is meaningless, is that the silence of God and the defeat that Saul is about to suffer have happened because you did not obey the Lord and carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites. Saul's separation from God is a consequence of his disobedience. Why do we expect the Lord to carry on speaking to us when we don't do what he says? At some point, it becomes meaningless to carry on speaking when every word is ignored or given only a half-hearted response at best. Samuel refers specifically to the Lord's command to Saul to drive out the Amalekites in uh, chapter 15. Contrary to instruction, Saul and his men do not drive out the Amalekites completely. Instead, although Saul tells Samuel that they have carried out the Lord's instructions, they actually spare the Amalekite king. And of course, they save the best of the sheep and cattle for themselves. When Samuel points out the bleating and the lowing of all the livestock, Saul argues that his men have only kept those as a sacrifice to the Lord. 
And in response, Samuel utters that great truth, to obey is better than sacrifice. Why is obedience so important? The Bible is not nearly as concerned with how to hear God's voice as it is with what we do when we hear it. Listening to God is not just about finding guidance to get us from A to B. We're supposed to learn from each experience of hearing the Lord speak to us so that we're better equipped to recognize God's will next time. Psalm 32 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Nowhere in Scripture has God given us a a simple plan for always hearing his voice, a a seven-step how-to program. Instead, throughout the Scriptures, he promises to be with individuals. God is not an alternative source of guidance to your horoscope. That is not relationship with God. That is using God. And God is most interested in guiding who you are, not what you do. But tuning into that kind of relationship doesn't depend on a quick prayer for help in a crisis. It depends on offering control of our lives over to God and being willing to trust and obey. Even when the Lord's directions are incomprehensible to us or objectionable to us. We cannot put conditions on our commitment to do God's will. When we ask the Lord to show us his way, we cannot add so long as it's not that way. Our choice to be obedient should come before our appeal for God's word. Let me say that again. Our choice to be obedient should come before our appeal for God's word. Paul Little in Day by Day Guidance says we tend to pray Lord, show me what your will is so that I can decide whether it fits in with what I have in mind. Just lift the curtain a minute and let me see so that I can decide whether or not I want to do it. We need to ask ourselves, are God's purposes for our lives really good, pleasing, and perfect? Or is God not trustworthy? What Saul is really doing when he seeks the Lord's voice in prayer or consults the medium, is an attempt to gain power over his situation. What truly listening for the voice of God is about is surrendering power. Saul's inquiries of the Lord have been about whether he'll be successful or secure or influential or happy. We often tend to pray the same way. When we seek the Lord, often at heart, we're really asking Will I be successful? Can I be more secure or have more influence or be more happy? These are exactly the questions people expect their horoscope to answer. But listening to God is about asking what will please him. Psalm 25 says, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Notice that. It's teach me, not just tell me. 
God's purposes are revealed to us in relationship. His voice becomes clearer and clearer to us as we obey his instructions and learn to think and act like him. Not when all we ask for is spur of the moment, left or right guidance each time we're facing a crisis. Saul is not obedient to the words he's given. So he doesn't learn from the Lord and he's not in relationship with the Lord. All he has are requests for success and security born out of moments of crisis. Verse 16. Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. Who you listen to is no trivial thing. Who you listen to can put you in relationship with or in opposition to the living God. And we struggle with this, with inquiring of the Lord so much, because most often when we seek to hear God's voice, we're seeking to gain power, words of wisdom or insight which will give us greater influence or greater security when listening for the voice of the Lord is actually about surrendering power and entering into an ever-deepening relationship. Let me end with this. Mother Teresa was once asked in an interview, when you pray, what do you say to God? She surprised the interviewer. I don't say anything. I listen. Not knowing how to respond, the interviewer finally came up with, okay, when you pray, what does God say to you? Mother Teresa answered, he doesn't say anything. He listens. And if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you.